Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Episode 7 of Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday. You can find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. And I am pumped up. We've got some production. I've got a theme song. I've got an announcer. Pinocchio, I am a big boy now. This is tremendous. (laughs) On the show today, we're going to look ahead to the Islanders Week, which features a third John Tavares visit to Nassau Coliseum since the former captain left via free agency for the Maple Leafs. Um, which players may draw back into the lineup this week. Uh, we'll have a, a chat with Cole Bardreau, who was sent back to Bridgeport after Saturday's two win over the Panthers at Barclays Center, but who certainly made an impression during his first nine-game NHL stint, and I think it was a fun chat with him. He's just a really engaging guy, um, and, and everyone was just so happy for him to, to finally get his shot at the NHL, uh, first shot at age 26. Um, got some interesting sound. Barry Trotz's take on uh, rookie forward Oliver Wallstrom, who was uh, sent back to Bridgeport also, and what Wallstrom needs to do to uh, make it back to the NHL. Um, and as we do each week, we're going to uh, answer some Q&A off my Twitter feed. So uh, l- let's get to it. Um, the Islanders of course, will enter Wednesday's game against the Leafs on a 12-point streak. They're 11-0-1 after the win over the Panthers. They had a 10-game winning streak, uh, which was the second longest in franchise history. That was snapped in a 4-3 overtime loss to the Penguins at Barclays Center on Thursday. Uh, three straight games at Barclays Center, five of seven of the home games uh, this month at at Barclays Center, but only 13 overall uh, this season. Next week, we'll bring a home-and-home with the Penguins, too. Um, After losing to the Penguins 4-3 in overtime, after blowing a uh, a three-goal lead in the third period, the Islanders quickly regained their form on Saturday. 2-1 win over the Panthers. Sort of the same scenario, different result, where the Islanders had a one-goal lead in the third period. The Penguins were able to tie it up. This time, though, the Islanders regained the lead just 38 seconds later, never lost their defensive structure, got a tremendous performance out of Thomas Grice. He was just outstanding with 37 saves. Um, now, I'll, I'll, Coach Barry Trotz also liked Semyon Varlamov's game against the Penguins uh, with 35 saves. The coach said uh, Varlamov just did not get enough support in that game. Now, per the strict goalie rotation, which is held so far, it would be Varlamov's turn against the Maple Leafs. Um, I, I was looking over it and wondering whether Barry might might break it this week and, and go back to Thomas Grice after that game against Florida. Thomas Grice exited Brooklyn that day atop the NHL uh, standings in terms of save percentage at 940. Um, I think his, uh, he had a, you know, he was second in goals against average. You know, at, at some point, Barry Trotz is going to play a goalie in back-to-back games, maybe a stretch of two, three, four games. And, and Barry has always said that that would happen when it's going to get into the quote-unquote meat of the season, which he pegged for Thanksgiving or, or, or after. 
Um, the Islanders are only playing three games here over a 10-day stretch. Um, after they play the Maple Leafs on Wednesday night at the Coliseum, their next game is Saturday at Philadelphia, and then after that, not again until Tuesday night at Pittsburgh. So three games over 10 days, and if Trotz goes back to Grice on, on Wednesday night against the Maple Leafs, uh, that's going to be a really long stretch for Semyon Varlamov not to be in net. So I, I, I really do expect Barry to stick with this rotation through a, a, at least these two games, Toronto and Philadelphia. Um, I, I know sports betting is now legal. If I had been laying money on uh, some of the Islanders' uh, staff's Goalie decisions, uh, I'm thinking last season when I was trying to figure out whether Robin Leonard or Thomas Grice would get the net, I would not be a rich man today. Um, Barry has surprised me in the past, but in this instance, I, I think he sticks with it. Varlamov gets a game against the Maple Leafs. Grice gets a game in Philadelphia, and then you go into that home-and-home against the Penguins uh, the following week. But, but back to the Leafs. What to expect on Wednesday night at the Coliseum? We, we all know how emotional the three games against Toronto were last season. Uh, losing John Tavares to free agency is, is still an open wound to the franchise, d- despite the success that the Islanders have authored under Barry Trotz and without John Tavares. Um, but, you know, I, I still expect the fans to, uh, to boo John Tavares every time he gets the puck. Um, it, it should be a ramped up, ramped up atmosphere. And, uh, you know, I would hope a sellout on Wednesday night. The Islanders have had only one sellout, uh, so far this season at Nassau Coliseum. I think John Tavares coming to town might warrant a second, uh, sellout, but, uh, last season, just to review. So the Islanders go up to Toronto on December 30th. So the first time they, they face the Maple Leafs is, up in Toronto, and, and, and the Islanders were amped up. And, and you could tell it right off the opening face-off. Um, they just blitzed the uh, Maple Leafs that night. They won 4 nothing. Matthew Barzell, with his second career hat trick, as Barry Trotz had been imploring Barzell to shoot, shoot, shoot a little bit more, which is something now with seven goals this season, you're seeing it really take hold this season. But for one game, at least last season, Barzell was, uh, you know, he was all over it uh, with, with, with three goals and a four nothing win at Toronto. And then the game that probably everyone, everyone remembers February 28th at the Coliseum. That was a game that was originally supposed to be at Barclays Center. They moved it to the Coliseum. Uh, and, and the atmosphere um, w- was electric, bordering on somewhat ugly at times. Um, you know, the cliche is so loud you couldn't think. Uh, that was certainly the case. The, you know, the Coliseum physically shakes at times. And that was one of the games. You, you get that during the playoffs. Uh, opponents have talked about sitting in uh, the dressing room before a playoff game, just feeling the stands and, 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 and the people above them and shaking. And, and it's, it's an intimidating atmosphere when it gets to that level. February 28th uh, at the Coliseum was certainly that level. Uh, the Islanders win 6-1. John Tavares didn't look shell-shocked, but all his Maple Leafs 
teammates looked very shell-shocked in that game. Uh, you know, as the Leafs leave the ice uh, after pregame warm-ups, JT gets a uh, jersey thrown at him. The Islanders score three times in the second period. Casey Sezikis gets uh, gets two goals, and it was just a, a very memorable night. And I, I went back and I read my uh, my game story from that, and I, I pulled up this quote from uh, from goalie Robin Leonard, who made 35 saves in that game. And after the game, Robin was just amazed at the atmosphere, and he said, quote, it was one of the coolest moments of my life. I'm going to remember this for a long time. I go out in warm-ups, and I always listen to music and try and get into the game. But I couldn't hear it. It was so loud during warm-ups. And that really summed up the entire night. Just a, a special moment in the Islanders' season last uh, season. last season in a, in a season that had a, a quite a few special moments getting to the second round of the playoffs. Um, the Maple Leafs came back one more time on April 1st. Uh, as the season wound down, the Islanders wound up losing that game 2-1, and uh, Tavares, of, score, of course, scores the winning goal in the Maple Leafs' clinch a playoff berth. Um, so a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say revenge, but a little bit of payback for the uh, Maple Leafs in that game in terms of, uh, you know, uh, making up for that 6-1 loss. They, they, they did not look shell-shocked as they did in the first game. They certainly... Uh, knew what to expect coming in. There was much less vitriol in the air. Um, and and I'm wondering whether that's going to be how it is on Wednesday night, kind of a, a toned down just a little bit it is after all. Both teams have moved on. John Tavares has moved on. The Islanders have certainly shown they can win without John Tavares. There's, you know, the roads have separated. So I, I'm just wondering you know, how ugly or, or how loud the boos are going to be, you know, the third time JT comes into the Coliseum. And you know what? Like I said, the Islanders have shown they can win without John Tavares. Uh, you know, the Maple Leafs lost in the first round last season. The The Islanders swept the Penguins in the first round before being swept to swept by the Hurricanes in the second round. And, uh, when uh, the Islanders won on Saturday uh, against the Panthers, that was uh, Barry Trotz's 100th game as the Islanders' coach, and it was his 60th win. Now, he has gotten to 60 wins faster than any coach in Islanders' history. That is including Al Arbor, who was kind of there at the beginning, in the exp- you know, not for the expansion season, but right after that. Um, Barry Trotz is in the uh, Islanders record books as the, the fastest coach to uh, 60 wins as, as an Islanders coach. And it's really remarkable. We're, we're talking about, you know, this being the second week of November in Barry Trotz's second season. And, and already he's there. Um, but, but again, back to the Maple Leafs, what to expect on Wednesday. I, I did ask Barry Trotz that, and, and he's really not sure what, what to expect on Wednesday? I have no idea. I really don't. I, I don't. I just look at the Leafs as a good hockey team, and um, we got to, you know, there's, right now there's, you know, there, there's eight spots in our conference. I think probably there's 11 or 12 teams that are in the mix. Well, they're in the mix, and I hopefully we're in the mix, so I just look at it as we got to, you got to go, and get people out of the mix. And they're a very good hockey team. And I know they're in the other um, 
on the on the Atlantic Conference, but you know uh, they're still in our conference overall. So you don't know who's going to you know finish in the top three on the other side, and you don't know who's going to finish in the top three on this side. So you know you got the two wild cards. So who knows? There's eight spots, and and, and you got to get one of them. In a memorable season last year, how much did those three games kind of stand out, if at all? Well, obviously the first one because that was yeah, Barzy's yeah. hat trick. Yeah, the first one in in uh, in Toronto was uh, it was you know that was the first time that they were going against uh, the Leafs and and John, and then the second time was the you know the the, the home game, which was you know. Uh, a very emotional game for the fans. I would say probably more than the players, um, and so it, they were they stand out for that. But other than that, I just think that we we know, we know they're a good hockey team, and we've got to beat a good hockey team. And uh, you know, they're sort of I don't see faces on our team. I see the, the Leaf logo. Who's available? Uh, for the Islanders is also a, a pertinent question, not just for Wednesday's game of, against the Maple Leafs, but moving ahead. Uh, Casey Sezikis could not play in the third period on Saturday, and he was limited in the second period after taking Aaron Ekblad's shot off his left knee in the first period. He did not practice on Sunday. Islanders are off on Monday. We'll have to see whether or not he's back on the ice on Tuesday. Uh, Sezikis missed five games earlier this season, was in a walking boot, and it's a sort, sort of a shame because um, going into Saturday's game, Sezikis was, was playing his best hockey of the season uh, before he got hobbled against the Panthers. Both he and linemate Cal Clutterbuck, uh, who also was given a maintenance day off on Sunday, although Barry Trotz said he expects both guys back uh, for practice on Tuesday, and I'm assuming Clutterbuck at least will be and, and be available for Wednesday. Um, but both Sezikis and Clutterbuck had two-game goal streaks snapped on Saturday, and those were the first goals for either this season. Casey, of course, coming off a career-high 20 goals last season. Um, it goes without saying that the, the Islanders lineup just has more balance, more four-line balance when Sezikis is in the lineup and he's at the top of his game. Now, Leo Komarov is working towards his return. He's been out nine games so far. From what started with neck soreness and was compounded by the flu going around the Islanders' room, and Leo said on Sunday he still doesn't want to rush it back and risk further problems, so I'm not 100% sure Leo Komarov might be available on, on Wednesday, but he, he's practiced twice in a row with the team. That's usually a sign that a guy's ready to go back in, and, and if he does go back in, it may be as a center again if Sezikis is not available. Now, Leo said, <laughs> I chatted with him the other day, and he said, yeah, you know what, uh, Center is not really my best spot, and Barry Trotz has said that's not really Leo's strength playing in the middle. He's much, uh, you know, he's much more accustomed to playing right right wing and just being a pest and getting in on the forecheck and hacking and slashing and agitating, and and that's really Leo's game. Um, but 
the you know when Sezikis was out earlier, Leo was the guy that uh, Trotz turned to, and and if Leo is available Wednesday, that may be the case again. Uh, Matty Martin, who's on injured reserve with a leg injury, is working his way back. He could rejoin the team for practices this week. I uh, don't think he'll be ready to play maybe before Philly, but that's, uh, you know, I I don't play a doctor on TV. We'll see. I know he's been working out hard skating uh, on his own. Uh, Tommy Kuhnhockel, also on IR with the leg injury, is uh, a little bit further behind. Um, And then then there's Andrew Ladd, um, who's just completed a five-game conditioning stint with Bridgeport in the AHL. Uh, I believe he had a goal uh, on Sunday. He's coming back from a second significant knee injury to, you know, right and left knees uh, that he suffered, I believe it was on March 24th. Um, He had surgery to repair an ACL, you know, second year in a row. He's missed pretty much all the training camp and preseason. President and general manager Lou Lamorello has said a couple of times that the target for Ladd's return was sometime in late November. Um, Completing a five-game conditioning stint, that might mean that Andrew Ladd uh, is on track for something a little bit quicker than late November. We'll we'll have to see. Tuesday's practice will be interesting to see if he's in there and, and how Barry Trotz We'll use him because one thing we know, Barry will get Ladd into the lineup. Um, he, he showed that last season when Ladd got healthy. He's talked about it that, you know, Ladd is not automatically given the keys to the kingdom, but Barry is not going to watch this guy work so hard to come back and not insert him. So Ladd will get his chance to get into the lineup, and then it'll be up to Ladd. To, to stick in the lineup. But really, how does Ladd fit back into this group uh, after so much time off? And remember, he also had a, a separate 44-game absence last season after his first knee, knee injury. So it's really been a while since the Islanders have been able to count on Andrew Ladd. There's some question as to, you know, what kind of player he'll be back. He will be coming off of two significant knee injuries. The Islanders will give him a, a chance, but really how he fits back into the group is a huge question. Here's Lou Lamarillo's take on, on what may happen when Andrew Ladd does come back. You know, that'll be a coach's decision at, at the appropriate time. Uh, you know, we'll we'll have to see where everybody is at. Actually, we have to see where he's at. I mean, he's been off a long time, and that's not uh, a simple injury that he's recovering from. Um, and these three games will certainly be an indication of where he's at. Um, and you know, we'll just go from there. One player not very likely to be back in the lineup for a bit is rookie right wing Oliver Wallstrom. He was sent back to Bridgeport after nine games without a point. He kind of descended from playing in the top six to the bottom six to the fourth line. His ice time steadily decreased. There were some defensive issues. Um, Trotz, Trotz just said Wallstrom can't get by on his talent alone. Now, also sending Oliver Wallstrom back to Bridgeport after nine games means his entry-level contract, uh, you know, the, the first year doesn't kick in until 10 games, so the first year could slide if Wallstrom doesn't make it back 
to the NHL this season. And, and Barry Trotz on, on Sunday was very clear in what Oliver Wallstrom needs to do to get back into the NHL. And basically, Barry's message to Wallstrom is you cannot get by on your talent alone. With Oliver, I, I, you know, he's a, a young player who's got loads of skill. Um, and all uh, he's gotten this far on loads of skill. Now he's got to learn to play the game. Um, I think, in, you know, at every level he's, you know, he's been a talent. He's been the biggest, strongest, most sort of most talented guy. Well, no one's really taught him the game for the most part. So we're doing that work. Bridgeport will do that work. But for him to be, a, you know, talent will get you so far. And then at that point, talent, talent and the ability to play the game with that talent allows you to play and be consistent and be in the National Hockey League and be, a, you know, he should be a, a top six forward probably, yeah, you know, um, to allow him to play there consistently. Well, that talent, if you don't know the game yet and aren't able to, to, to you know, the reads and the responsibilities aren't in sync with the game, then you're not going to be in the top six. You're going to be exactly where he started, almost on the first line, and he sort of got chinked down. Um, to, to every line uh, based on and it wasn't because he can't do it he just it doesn't come naturally to him to systematically uh, to do things that were you have to have some responsibility in certain areas of the game he's made good improvements in that but it's not quite there yet so the message in Bridgeport would just be to kind of Working on well, yeah, just understand that, understand that you know it's not all about uh, you know it's not all about your skill set. It's how your skill set fits into how you play, so that you make your teammates better and you can and all that. And, you know, if, you know, all, there's certain responsibilities that don't come natural for him yet because he hasn't had to do it, and that's that's on everywhere he's played before that. You know, unfortunately. He, he, or he didn't take enough responsibility on his own to say, you know, i got to take more responsibility to be more detailed in this area because it impacts my game. He's never had to do that, so he's having to do that. Uh, with, with games going back to the Coliseum, or at least on, on Wednesday night, I, I just thought, it, you know, you heard uh, during an episode when Neil Best came into the studio and, and chatted and uh about attendance at Islander games. And when Jim Bomback, uh, my other Newsday teammate, came in and was in the studio, we also chatted about Islanders' attendance. And I have to say, three games at Barclays Center, crowds were good at all three games. Um, you went from, uh, there was a crowd in the 11,000s for the first game there, and you got into the 12,000 or I think uh, 12,000, and then I, I don't have numbers off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But the last game, uh, the third game, uh, Saturdays at Barclays Center, that was the second highest or the second biggest crowd the Islanders have had this season after their sellout in the season opener against the Capitals at Nassau Coliseum. Um so this narrative of people not going to Barclays Center to see the Islanders is a little bit skewed right now. Uh, you know, I, I think the average for the three games at Barclays is a little bit better than the average for the uh, the, the 
the games at Nassau Coliseum so far. So I, I found that very interesting. You know, the upper bowl was filled right to the top, and uh, that was a good sign. Obviously, at Barclays, you have some issues fitting hockey in there. It's more of a horseshoe. You, you don't fill one side because there are some obstructed view seats. So I'm not saying Barclays does not have issues. I'm just pointing out that the crowds were really surprisingly good there. Now, as I mentioned at the top, Cole Bardreau was sent down after Saturday's game at Barclays Center. If if Sezikis and Komarov are not available on Wednesday, does Bardreau become a candidate to come back up for that game? Not sure, but you know, either way, th- this guy's story remains very, very uh, intriguing and interesting. Um, you know, the broken vertebrae he had at Cornell as a sophomore that, that actually left him in danger of paralysis. The series of injuries over his five seasons in the Flyers organization that really kept him from being called up at any point prior to the season. Um, it, it's just, you know, you, you can't script stories like this sometimes. And, and uh, on top of that, Cole is just such an easy person to, uh, to, t- to chat with. And he really appreciated every single minute he was up in the NHL because it had been so long for him. You saw when he scored his first NHL goal on a penalty shot. He he went wild. The crowd went wild. The bench went wild. Barry Trotz, for, for Barry Trotz, went wild throwing his arms up in the air. Uh, it was just a wonderful moment, and he really has become a fan favorite in a nine-game stint. And uh, like I said, very engaging to chat with. I sat down with him in the Islanders' room, obviously, before he was sent back to Bridgeport, and we kind of went over his hockey journey. We're here with Cole Bardreau, and uh, Cole, just can, can you sum up what this experience has been like at like you, you just said before I hit record, it's kind of been a wild ride for you here. Yeah, like I said, I just keep using the word surreal. You know, I still got to pinch myself in the morning when I wake up and come to practice for the Islanders. It's still uh, kind of a crazy experience and uh, just keeps getting better and better. So I'm um, just mainly right now just trying to enjoy every second. You know, you, you can be down, down one day, back up and back down. So uh, kind of just take advantage of everything I can and enjoy the ride. When you joined the organization, you you had five seasons in the Flyers organization. When you when you joined the Islanders, are, are there expectations? I know I know you had a good training camp, but you know you get sent to Bridgeport. What do, what are you thinking going into the season? Yeah, I know, you kind of I don't know. I'm obviously getting a little older, not a 19 year old rookie anymore. So uh, you know, you kind of come to terms with the fact that maybe you've you've missed your window to get your opportunity and. Uh, but for me, luckily, I've, you know, I've always just I've been lucky to be a hockey player. I just love the game. I love coming to the rink. I've been the, the minors or, or here. You know, I've just truly been blessed to be able to play hockey for a living. And uh, but like you said, kind of had come to terms with that. And then getting that call, I, 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 don't, I don't know. can't even explain it. It's, it's, still, uh, it's still a shock. And really, you know, with the way the season goes here, you kind of don't really get a second to relax. So I'm sure, uh, you know. Next off, off next break we get or whatnot, kind of just take it all in and, and think about it. How did you come to join the Islanders? I heard Chris Lamarillo had interest in you, but did you, you know, before you signed, were, were you heavily recruited by them, or how did it come about? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I kind of knew that I was going to try to, you know, go somewhere else after Philly. Love my time there, love the staff and whatnot, but, uh, 
you know, obviously the goal is to get your opportunity. So kind of knew that I was going to, you know, go with the free agency or whatnot, and they just kind of expressed a lot of interest. And for me, it was kind of, um, you know, I didn't have anywhere particular I wanted to go. I just wanted to go somewhere where, where, where I was wanted, and I think that, you know, Chris Lamarello did a great job of that, and, and uh, that sold me. And just so you, you get your your first goal, it's on a penalty shot. Only the seventh player in NHL history to get the first goal. And you know, you said after the game, you know, <laughs> the guys were going to rib you a little bit about the celebration. Have you gone back and watched the video and and just take us through those moments? And now, with a little bit of you know, you know, forty eight hours later, how, how do you? How can you express those emotions of what you felt? The, to express the emotions, it's, it's, it can't be done. But I definitely have to watch the video in the morning just to make sure it actually <laughs> happened and pinch myself. You know, it kind of seems like a dream. But, uh, yeah, kind of I knew it. Like when I got hauled down, I kind of knew he was he was going to give me the shot, just kind of how the situation developed there. And uh, obviously my nerves were through the roof right when he pointed to center ice. But uh, luckily I kind of went back to the bench, grabbed a sip of water, and had a, had a second, you know, to kind of regain my composure. And then uh, – like I said, just kind of just took a look around the rink right before he blew the whistle, and thinking to myself, "This is a moment if I've ever seen one." So, uh, <laughs> might as well. And it was, I don't know. And then I kind of blacked out after that, and just obviously, there's a lot of emotion in the celebration after, kind of a lot of, a lot of stuff going on, and I don't know, smiling still. It was awesome. So you, you've told the story, but uh, you know, for the listeners. So Johnny Boychuk comes up with a, a nickname for you. <laughs> how, how did that come about? And, you know, it, that's got to be a sign of respect from the team that, you know, you're, you're, you're one of the boys. That just uh, after the first period, there's a little confusion on whose line was going because, you know, my nickname's Bards and then Barzell's is Barzy there. So there's a little commonality there. And uh, kind of to, to avoid the confusion, Boychuk just goes, we're calling you Tuna. And I was like, <laughs> all right, that works for me. And then sure enough, I kind of I scored that very next period. And, uh uh, you know, Trotsy started saying it on the bench, and it just spread like wildfire. So I don't know if it'll stick. It's kind of still a little fresh, but uh, we'll see. And you were saying that's that's got to stand out as the best nickname so far in your career. I mean, I don't know about best, but uh, definitely most most unique. And I mean, they can call me whatever they want up here. I don't I don't, I don't really care. And uh, but again, you know, love Boychuk. He's been unbelievable to me, making me feel comfortable. And the same with the rest of the guys. And you know, I kind of beat a dead horse here, but. That's that's huge. The character of the guys in this room, just to make the new guys feel comfortable, and I think that's a, a big, you know, ingredient to why the the team has been so successful here, and uh, will have continued success. How do you self-assess? You know, you've been up. Uh, I think it's eight games now, seven games. How, how do you assess your play, and what 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 are you hoping to get better at, and and how do you feel? Like you're keeping up with the rhythm of the NHL game. Yeah, I definitely think that my, my speed is, you know, one of my strongest tools that, you know, helps me stay competitive and stay within the game. But um, I just say I'm getting a little bit more comfortable, which I think is good. And you don't have to think about the, you know, the intangibles of people of like worrying about, you know, the relationships with the guys, with the staff, you know, knowing where to go in the mornings for practice and whatnot. Just kind of the intangibles that kind of can be wasted energy now is something that it's a back burner and just focus on playing. But, um, I don't know, I've always kind of just been a team guy, and I just I think right now for how many to be successful in the limited minutes I get, it's kind of just be hard to play against, finish my hits, create some energy, um, and then obviously if I chip in with, with points, that's just a bonus. But like I said, just bring the energy and uh, be a good team guy on the bench. 
we, we've talked in the past about the injuries that you dealt with, you know, specifically in the Flyers organization, maybe that keeping you from getting an NHL chance earlier. But I, I want to take you back to Cornell and sophomore year. And can you kind of describe what happened in the aftermath and just, you know, how serious and scary that might have been for you? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, coming back from World Juniors there, which was, won a gold in Russia and it was definitely the pinnacle of my career I was my confidence was as high as it's ever been and had a really good game my first game back and then the second game kind of went in the corner to uh, retrieve a puck and kind of got hit from behind and lost sensation in my fingers but by, by the time my trainer got out to me it, you know that sensation went away and kind of thought that I could just skate it off like like anyone else right so um, skated off knew I was in some sort of trouble but I thought I might just had a concussion or whatnot and and then um, the next day, my neck just stiffened up pretty, pretty tight, and um, sent me to our local, you know, doctor's office on campus there, and went in and with like it was a normal day, I had my book bag on and got an X-ray, and the next thing I knew, I was leaving in a stretcher in an ambulance, and um, you know, hours of MRIs and CAT scans and whatnot, and yeah, it was pretty scary for the for the first moment when they came out, and you know, they said they were wanted to, you know, rush me to surgery or whatnot, but you know, I don't know how it happened but then uh you know another doctor came in and you know talked about the fact that i'd played the game and it had been stable and the last thing we wanted to do is go home go ahead and perform surgery so luckily kind of avoided that and then it was four months 24 7 at nick brace and then the rehabilitation came after that and it was uh it was a pretty long road but again just you know i'm lucky with with all the support system i have with family and friends and you know the staff there at cornell i can't say enough about them to make the process as easy as possible what was that first game back like you know after all that rehab and you know you want to put it in the back of your mind but you know with such a traumatic event you know how how long did did it take for you to put it you know, in the back of your mind? Honestly, it, it really, you know, that was never even in question. I kind of, yeah. the last time I went and see, saw my doctor in Rochester, he assured me that I was at no greater risk than the, the guy sitting next to me in the locker room for it to happen again. And after that, it was kind of just get me back out there. And I remember it was an exhibition game at Cornell, and uh, I think it was like one of the first or second shifts I, I scored on a breakaway. So obviously after that, I, you know, missed that feeling for a while, and it was didn't look back. Yeah. You're a you're a vocal guy. Have you gotten into the culture of chirping at opponents yet? I know before you fly, played the Flyers, you said you might have a, a couple of good ones for some old teammates. But <laughs> no, that's something that uh, you know I did. I did a lot in the minors when I was kind of trying to find my game and whatnot. But um, it's a fine line for me to you know for it to be effective and then not take me off my game as well too. And I think that. Uh, you know, right now, the the way I'm playing has kind of been successful for not only myself, but team success too. So I'm going to kind of just keep that rolling. And um, obviously, if the opportunity presents itself, you can always throw one in. But uh, right now, things are rolling. I'm just going to keep it going. Give me two sentences on your line mates, Ross Johnson and Oliver Wallstrom, and, and how you think you three have fit together. Two sentences. I'm definitely not going to be able to do it in two sentences. <laughs> but... Uh, you know they they've been great, and I think that you know our lines having a little bit of success because we all bring we all bring you know 
something different to the table. I think like my speed and my defensive game. Obviously, Johnson can do Johnson and Wally can do that too. But and then you know Wallister is an elite offensive guy who can who can you know make defensemen scared and, and create opportunities. And then Johnson's just like a is the perfect system guy. Always knows where to be. Always in the right positions. And obviously tough as nails, which opens up ice for for Wallstrom there. So I think it's been a a big uh, kind of throwing a bunch of mitzvahs together. But it, it you know it's we're doing a I think we're doing a pretty decent job in a limited time. And, and how do you see your role with those two? Yeah, I think I think kind of the, I'm just the 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 middle guy connecting everything. I pride myself on my defensive game and kind of keeping my game simple. Um, and I don't know. I, I think that I I just play well off of different people, like kind of a chameleon type deal, and uh, that's just what's happened so far. It's been good. Hey Cole, listen, thanks so much. Continued success and uh, all the best. I appreciate the time. Awesome, thank you. Appreciate it. And my thanks again to Cole Bardreau and and really best wishes uh, in his hockey journey. Like I said, um, I I do think this is a guy you will see back with the Islanders at at, at a certain point, probably at some point this season. He he showed he can handle himself in the NHL. He's got some good speed. Um, Like I said, a really engaging guy. So uh, thank you again, Cole Bardreau. And now... We're on to Andrew's answers. A little bit of Q&A via Twitter. It's time for your questions with Andrew's answers. Oh my God, that pumps me up. I'm, <laughs> I'm just warning my wife right now. That is going to be the ringtone on my phone. It is going to drive her bananas. <laughs> and my kids too. It's going to drive everyone in my, in my immediate circle bananas. But I love that. Andrew's answers, theme music, Pinocchio, big boy. Here we go. Twitter Q&A, and we go back to Beast LNL, Beast LM, who is a, uh, a regular contributor to Q&A. Thank you so much, Beast LM, and he starts us off right on, do you believe Cole Bardreau has a future on the Islanders? I feel like he played pretty well, given the opportunity he had. And yeah, Beast LM, like I mentioned, I... I do think he can uh, he can play in the NHL. Is he ever going to be, you know, anything more than a fourth line center in the NHL? I'm not too sure about that. You know, he does skate well enough. Um, I, I do think Barry Trotz kind of had it pegged right when he said that he saw Cole Bardreau as kind of, you know, a little bit of a mix of Casey Sezikis and Cal Clutterbuck, meaning that kind of style of game. And when I relayed that to Cole, he had a huge smile on his face because, uh, you know, if he's going to play in the NHL, that's how he has to play. Just a, a persistent four-checker, a, a guy that annoys opponents Cole's a little bit of a chirper um, that that plays plays into his style as well. And like I said, I don't think he's a top six forward in the NHL, but I, I think he will get another chance down the road to to show that he he can be a consistent contributor to the Islanders. Um, Andy Hicks says, uh, Andrew, do you think the Sound Tigers are just a tool to get players experience and the success of the team is not important and it's just about player development? Uh, they've, they've, I'm assuming you mean they've got at least 10 players there who are NHL fringe level but haven't started well, even factoring in injuries. Yeah, uh, any 
any quote-unquote minor league is about development first. Now, obviously, you want to create a winning atmosphere, and I, I, I certainly think the organization prefers it when the Sound Tigers are competing for a playoff spot as compared to what's going on there this season when they seem to be, uh, stu- you know, yeah, stumbling along a little bit at the start. There's been a lot of roster flux, and that's, you know, that's also endemic to the AHL at times. When the NHL team, when the big cl- club needs something, that's what the AHL team is there for, and you can't worry about wins and losses on the NH- on the AHL level. You really have to worry about player development first. Um, as I mentioned, I think a lot of what you're going to hang your hat on this season with the Bridgeport Sound Tigers is how does Oliver Wallstrom develop his game? How does Bodie Wild develop his game down there? You know, does Kiefer Bellows take another step this season? How about Otto Koivula? You know, those are the guys you, you, you keep an eye on. You see where their development is. And if they're flatlining, yeah, then you have a problem. My guess is they're not going to flatline down there. So, um, We'll just have to see. It may be a question better suited for February or March. Um, Tier 1 Media asks, you were very impressed with a prospect, defense prospect, uh, Samuel Bullduck's size, um, and he's quoting me as noticeable as Chara, uh, as Dano Chara. Listed at six foot four, is he bigger or giant wingspan? What was it? When Isles make trades, they want to upgrade roster but need to clear cap space. What is my plan? Uh, just to get to uh, Bullduck, certainly I'm not comparing uh, Bullduck to Dano Char. Dano Char is a Hall of Famer right now. What I meant was, even at six foot four, yeah, he's he's got this big wingspan, and he just seemed to to take up skating lanes with with his big size and I thought he was impressive with how he used his body up against the boards to uh you know kind of snuff out rushes and I thought he was very physical I thought he was really good around the goal crease I I mean this is one to stick in your back pocket see how he does in development camp and training camp next year but I I think Bulldog has a uh, has a chance here and you know is he going to be Zidane Chara, well, are you going to tell me he's going to play, what, 22, 23 years in the NHL or whatever it is now? Um, being a little facetious, I, I what I meant was he's a big body who seems to make his big body bigger when he's on the ice, and I think that's what Zdeno Chara does. Um, as far as when the Islanders make trades, obviously they want to upgrade the roster, but do they need to clear cap space? What is my plan? I, I think a little bit depends on whether, you know, where Noah Dobson's development goes this season and whether you feel comfortable trading one of those, you know, six top defensemen for some more scoring help. Um, I don't know if they're going to get there this season. Uh, that's probably where you start. Um as far as clearing cap space, I, I think the Islanders are still doing okay. The The issue, as we've talked about on previous episodes, is you hear the cha-ching next to Matthew Barzell's name uh, when he's an RFA this coming off season, And I think you're talking something in the $10 million per season and up 
uh, range, maybe 11 million. I, I think Matthew is going to look to get paid, and that's where the salary cap is going to come into play. Um, see, Andre Minasayan, and I'm sorry for uh, mispronouncing that, but hey, that's that's how it is. That's what I do. Um, is there a realistic possibility the Islanders will go after Taylor Hall or another top-line scoring winger, playing into my last uh, answer? I, I think that will be something that, that Lou looks into, whether it's Taylor Hall. You, you want to be careful with Taylor Hall because if he does not re-sign with the Devils, I, I think that clearly means he wants to test the free agent market. Um so do you want to blow a lot of assets on a guy that, uh, let's face it, was not willing to sign in this area? Now, I know, you know, maybe that has more to do with the direction he sees the Devils going in. And you can certainly sell to Taylor Hall that the Islanders are, you know, in a better spot um, and, and, and headed certainly in the right direction. And maybe, you know, he's the final piece there. But still, you know, he had a chance or he has a chance to re-sign long-term in New Jersey in this metropolitan area, and he's not doing it. So I'm not so sure that this is exactly where Taylor Hall wants to be. Um, I would be a little bit leery of, of going after Taylor Hall as, as a trade rental uh, without assurances. I, I would prefer to go after him as a free agent. Um, but, yeah, I, I think as the season goes on, and, you know, it, it's hard to throw darts right now. They're on a 12-game, you know, point streak at 11-0-1. Things are going pretty good, and and they are scoring goals. Uh, they had those, uh, what was it, three straight games with at least four goals. Matthew Barzell's got seven goals. Uh, things are going reasonably well in terms of scoring. Can they get better? Yeah. Um, but, uh you know, they just got Jordan Everly back in the lineup. So uh, let's see whether he can start potting a few. I think that'll help, too. Um, Jay Mersh asks, do you think there is any chance at all we extend Thomas Grice? And, and that is a great question. And it's not just a surface question because, uh, you know, we, we've – We've discussed on this show that they they bring in Semyon Varlamov four years, twenty million. So that's a a cap hit of five million per season. That's what they were willing to give Robin Leonard, uh, either you know over two seasons before Leonard you know uh, uh, did not take that immediate deal, and then that deal was pulled, and Robin winds up in Chicago. And did we see Robin's fifty three save performance the other day? And and good good for him. Happy for him. Um, digressing, do they extend Thomas Grice? Now, obviously, you've got Ilya Sorokin uh, in the KHL, and, and the organization would like to get him to North America. You've got Jacob Skarek, uh at Bridgeport right now, and hearing a lot of good things about him and where he might fit in the organization. So you got two young goalies coming up. You got Semyon Varlamov signed for four years at five million. And you have the idea that Varlamov is is somewhat close with Ilya Sorokin and maybe could serve as a bridge to Sorokin, um, kind of serve as a mentor to his fellow Russian. Um, but then you've got the way Thomas Grice is performing right now. And why would you want to lose him? Um, he, he's been, you know, let's face it, he's been... 
when I say spectacular, I don't mean he's flopping around like Dominic Hasek and, and making spectacular saves. I mean, his play is spectacular in how steady and how consistent it is and how he is winning games for this team. The problem is he's in at, what, 3 million, 3.3? Yeah, 3.3 million uh, on this deal, which was a three-year, $10 million deal. Boy, if Semyon Varlamov is making five million, that is that's the that's the starting point for a new Thomas Grice contract because he is doing exactly what Semyon Varlamov is doing, and I just don't see, you know, my take. And again, I'm not a GM, nor do I play one on TV. My take has always been salary cap structures just get skewn out of whack when you were paying goalies too much. And, you know, I covered the Rangers all these years, and obviously you had to pay Henrik Lundqvist, but I, I, I think it's a problem that Henrik Lundqvist makes $8 million plus a year. I think it is a problem for the Florida Panthers that Sergei Bobrovsky is making $8 million plus per year. And now if you... If you go with the assumption that Grice is going to demand $5 million per season because that's the floor, that's the uh, model that Varlamov sent, now you're paying $10 million for the two goalies. And I really just think that's, that is going to hurt, especially going back to what I just said of Matthew Barzell. Really, you're going to have to pay Matthew Barzell. So is there a chance they extend Grice? There's always a chance, right? But I, I don't know whether it's going to be fiscally the right thing to do. Um, Steve C. asked, do we have any updates on Josh Hosang's situation? Why isn't he playing in Bridgeport? It is weekly, and I know there's so much interest in him. And he could be helping this organization. He could have been a call-up and maybe instead of Oliver Wallstrom. Um but he demanded a trade, demanded, requested a trade. His representation requested a trade um, after uh, he did not make, after Josh Hosang did not make training uh, the team out, out of training camp. And again, it was just the wrong move on Josh Hosang's point. Um, you know, I, you can say he should stay patient, and maybe he's been too patient since 2014. But really, he re-signed as an RFA. He knew what the situation was going in. He knew, you know, he had certainly had hopes he would make the team out of training camp. He knew it wasn't a definite. And, you know, just just put your put put your work boots on, go to Bridgeport and play. And and what happens happens. If you play well, you're going to get called up. But now he requested a trade. Lou said, "All right, I'll try and trade you." And that was you know that was five weeks ago. Lou clearly hasn't found a trade, and Lou and Lou told Josh not to report to Bridgeport and until the situation was resolved. And now Josh is just in limbo. And as I've said, I think what happens is at some point they come to a mutual parting, and Josh winds up playing in Europe this year. So, Cordup uh, asks. How difficult is it to follow the game in the quote-unquote press box? And, and I appreciate those use of quotation marks because it really isn't a, a proper press box. They basically forgot to put one in the Barclays Center. It is in the corner of Barclays Center. Um, so the question is, how difficult is it to follow the game in the press box from the corner at Barclays Center compared to being closer to center ice at just about every other arena? 
It's a good question. I can see things that happen in the zone by me very, very well. And I'm looking at the TV monitor at times at, at stuff that happens down the ice because it, it's you are in the corner. And, you know, people who sit in the stands in the corner know the feeling. I mean, it, it's not an awful seat, but you're just getting a much better view of one end of the ice. And, and yeah, I, I do prefer sitting at center ice. You see the game much better. Now, that all being said, you know, I prefer being lower to the to the ice. You know, in Barclays, you're not up in the rafters like, say, in a place like uh, Prudential Center. So, you know, obviously, Nassau Coliseum, even though it's cramped and tight and outdated, and I'm talking about the press box and there are wires everywhere that can trip you, it is the best view of any press box in the NHL. Love working games at Nassau Coliseum. I feel like I'm on the ice with the guys. Um, so, yeah, Barclays, it's a little tough, but, you know, I'm not complaining. There are TV monitors there. I, I, I catch everything. Oh, I shouldn't say I catch everything that happens. I think you guys have pointed out enough on Twitter. But uh, you know what I'm saying. I, I, I have access to every play if I so choose. Um Rye asks, Trotz is known for wanting everyone to have a role. What is Anthony Beauvillier's role according to Trotz? He is a top six forward. He's worked his way. He's improved himself into being trusted as a 200-foot player. He's being used on the power play, and Barry Trotz is not afraid to use him on the penalty kill. He's, his role is that of a, a complete forward. Uh, as simple as I can say, I, I think he's... You know, at least among the forwards, he's the most improved forward from last season. Um, much more consistent. Scott follows with what is Michael Dalcall's role on this team. And uh, Michael's role is a little bit different. Um, obviously a first-rounder, fifth overall, I believe. Um, and he is, he is right now not a top-six forward. He's, you know, he was skating with Casey Sezikis and Cal Clutterbuck. We'll see if that line is available on Wednesday. Um, he's probably going to be more of a bottom six forward in his career and a guy that has to really make a name for himself with his physical, physical play and how he, you know, gets in in the corners and gets in on the forecheck and really is a grinder. He's going to score some goals, but he's not going to be, you know, a 20, 25 goal scorer in this league. And I think, uh, Michael has a, a good understanding of that and a good understanding of what his role is, and uh, it's working. He's been a, he's been a decent player for him this season, even if he doesn't get on the score sheet. Um, let's see. Uh, we go to uh, Lee Bob, and that's uh, double B or three Bs out of four letters in Bob. So that. that Hi, Andrew. What do you make of home attendance so far? I've been surprised by the underwhelming numbers at the Coliseum and the better-than-expected numbers in Barclays. And, yeah, uh, Lee Bob, I, I just sort of – I've gone over that, and I agree with you. Um, the Coliseum numbers are underwhelming to this point. I have been pleasantly surprised at the crowd at Barclays, and I think a lot of that is they switched games – or at least they announced the switch of those seven games just a little bit too late um, from Barclays to the Coliseum. Uh, people were a little confused as to where the games were, maybe didn't have time for the plans, and I, I think that's a big part of it. I would certainly hope as 
as the season goes on and the Islanders are clearly going to be in the midst of this playoff race, uh, you, you start seeing more sellouts at the Coliseum. And maybe we see one Wednesday night, John Tavares and the Maple Leafs coming to town. Um, let's see, Tristan Peck is asking about Thomas Grace having another Stella as in uh, on the waterfront Stella season and the close-knit nature continuity of the team being a real strength, is it possible Lou trades Sorokin for a top six forward, assuming he comes over in the summer? Thanks. That's that's a that's an interesting and good point. And yeah, uh, that is a trade chip right there, uh, especially uh, as I mentioned before, with the way Jacob Skirak, uh seems to have turned the eyes of the organization. And, you know, with the belief that he might be, you know, someone the Islanders can rely on at the NHL level as well. So, you know, if if there is interest around the league from Sorokin, I, you know, I could certainly see that possibility as well. But then it goes back to what I also mentioned about what are you going to pay Grice and is that fiscally the smart thing to do? Um, Frank G. asks... Is it too soon to talk contract extension for Coach Barry Trotz? I would say probably not this season. Maybe look for that in the offseason going into next season. Uh, I certainly believe Barry Trotz has you know, earned the right at this point to stay here for a long time. Uh, my belief is he, he is the best coach manager uh, in, in the New York sporting area. Um, you know, Aaron Boone is certainly a good one. Um, I like John Hines with the Devils, but, uh, I mean, Barry Trotz has won a Stanley Cup. He's been doing this now for 21 seasons. He's kind of a gold standard in the NHL uh, amongst coaches. He's going to go into the Hall of Fame. Um, this guy gets to stay here as long as he wants to stay here, at least in, in my mind. Although we all know Lou Lamarillo's history with uh, coaches. Uh, Lou sometimes disagrees on how long coaches get to stay here. But I, I would say maybe look for that in, in the offseason, start of next season. Um, and we'll finish with In Trots We Trust, who says, any idea on Garth Snow's role with the Islanders? He is no longer listed in the team's website. Last season, he was listed as a special assistant to the president and GM. Uh, Garth Snow's role right now is he's being paid. Um, and other than that, he has no role. Um, I, I'm assuming he still has a key to the office. I'm not 100% sure of that. But as far as import, input, he is not a he is not advising Lou Lamarello in, in any way, shape, or form, and that uh, wraps it up for Andrew's answers, which had theme music this week. Love it. And speaking of theme music, um, uh, by the way, I appreciate all the uh, the stars and rate and review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, all that good stuff. I got a chuckle. One guy gave me four out of five stars with the comment that I was knocked down one star just because there was no production, no theme music, but he said he would get back to me in case of theme music. Well, theme music alert. Thank you uh, so much for everyone for uh, tuning in. Episode 7 of Island Ice. In case you uh, haven't, please subscribe via Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play, Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. And of course, you're going to the newsday.com backslash sports website. Uh, finding Island Ice there. Um, in case you don't know, you can find all my Islanders articles in one 
easy pull-down tab. Anyway, thank you again. I'm Andrew Gross. You can find me at on Twitter at agrosnewsday, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Island Ice. Enjoy your hockey and enjoy your day.